What's up, everybody? Welcome to Half the Cast, episode number 33, part two, take two. My name is Josh Tull. I'm joined by my good friend, Brett Roberts, as always. Hello, Brett. Hello, Josh. And HBot. As Josh. Don't forget about HBot. Hi, HBot. Welcome to Hapticast. As Josh mentioned, uh, this is our second time recording Hapticast episode 33. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. If you've watched our new episode of Unclaimed Baggage, you know exactly what we are talking about. Uh, So go check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that was um, a lot of fun. It was. Uh, Recording it was a lot of fun. Finding out that the audio was missing was not a lot of fun. Yeah. But watching the edit that you managed to put together was a lot of fun. So, well, we did it, folks. That's all I can tell you is we did it. We did it. All right. So quick rundown of what's going on today. We're going to be talking about BlizzCon line um, and a little Overwatch news and a little uh, Twitch is bad type of news going on there. Uh, we're going to be talking about the PlayStation 5 controller drift, um, which we were going to talk about last week, but now there's even more to discuss with that issue. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then we're going to uh, go into our uh, top 50 games of all time segment again. We're doing numbers 20 to 11 today. Uh, so it's a big day. We're coming down to the wire. We're also going to give you all an update as far as where other games stand currently um, in the rankings. Um, and then we have a really awesome little indie game today for Indie Intel, uh, a game called Pine uh, that is going to make you cry. Okay? Sad. Sad indeed. So that's what we're going over this week. Brett. Um, all right. So media consumption update. That sounds so right. official for what it is. <laughs> It's very official. Yeah. Um, I have been consuming some media. Yeah. And a lot of it is from not this week that just passed, but the week previous. Uh, again, we filmed the whole podcast. We didn't get to put it out. So I'm going to just run through a couple of things. Josh already knows some of them because of last mm-hmm. week. Uh, so let's get right to it. Uh, you know, my birthday was a couple weeks ago. I got a lot of uh, Jinji Ito manga books that I didn't have in my collection. I almost have every single one of his uh, works that were released in North America. So that's really cool. And I wanted to expand my my palette a little bit outside of Junji Ito, and you know find other horror artists and, and writers uh, in that genre. So I got a couple of books here, Josh. I'm going to share with you. Um, you know about them already, but I'm going to show you a little bit of the inside. Uh, I am a hero. Mm-hmm. I have the first uh, compilation of volumes here. This is like a zombie survival manga. It's like The Walking Dead if it was good. I think we said. Mm-hmm. Um, like season one of the walking dead or something Mm -hmm. i believe that this has a film Mm. or a show Mm -hmm. as well now Mm -hmm. and i said last week and i'm not sure if i was correct in that um but i think this is the guy who did parasite the maxim but i could be wrong that's great but here's some some of the art on the inside here you can uh wait the light is very bright you can see a zombie lady bursting through a door there in color folks so uh, I'm really excited to jump into this one. Very nice. But I, I bought it, so that's ready to go. Yeah. And then I have this one. Both of these were on a list of like top 10 horror manga you need to read that's not Junji Ito. Mm-hmm. This one's called Ibitsu. Ibitsu. And it's about a little girl who is a ghost, and she comes up to you, and she asks if you want a little sister. And if you say yeah, she kills you. Huh. That's great. Yes. I haven't read it yet, but apparently it's very scary. I believe it. So... 
I'm looking forward to reading both of those. I did just start reading uh, a manga called PTSD. Uh, radio, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's good. Oh, PTSD radio. Mm. And it's very, uh, incoherent in the story, but the artwork is really crazy. And like we've, I told you about, it and I sent you a couple images and we've kind of been using the images as memes. Ah, in chat. that, yeah, that's what it's gotcha. from. Uh, so yeah, there's some really not good imagery in, in that series. And I'm really excited to keep reading that. Another thing that I just got, Josh, and I already shared this with you as well, but I'll share with the viewers here. I got Persona mm. 5 Strikers, P5S. Mm -hmm. I still haven't finished Persona 5, so um, I'm going to hold off on playing this. But the reason I got it on release was because of Best Buy's Steelbook uh, pre-order incentive. And all of my Persona games, I have a Steelbook for. Yeah. At least the Persona 5, the Persona 5 ones. Um, so I had to get it. Yeah. I had to pre-order it. Um, and it's actually getting reviewed really well. Yeah. And I heard it's really fun. Yeah. So oh. I'm excited to jump into that one. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other games I've been playing and, and things that I'm forgetting. I just picked up um, Super Mario 3D World. Oh, started playing Bowser's Fury. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? WandaVision. Been watching WandaVision. Mm. Episode 7, I believe. Yeah. It was good. We knew it was common, folks. That's all I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I found out some things. I'll tell you off camera. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but I found some things out about um, characters' counterparts in the in the manga, in the comics. Um, yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to talk to you about that. But yeah, that's really it, man. I've, I've been trying to read a little bit more, even if it's comics and manga. Like, I'm just trying to, to read a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. That's that's what I've been up to. Okay. Um, as far as me goes, um, if you watched our top fifty video from last week, um, I mentioned that I platinumed Control, um, which I yep. did. But since then, I've also beaten both DLCs for it. Um, so the Foundation DLC and the Altered World Events DLC. I have hundred percented the Altered World Events DLC. Um, and I have done all of the missions for the foundation, um, DLC. I have a couple more trophies to go back and clean up. Um, and then I think actually just two, and then I will be completely 100% all of control, including the DLCs, which I could not tell you the last time I did that in a game. Actually, yeah. I can tell you the last time I did that in a game. And that was Alan Wake <laughs> way back in the day. Um, which is another Remedy title, Alan Wake and an American Nightmare. Um, so if that tells you anything yeah. about how much I enjoy Remedy games, um, that's it, because that was my week. So Nice. It's pretty I watched Dr. Stone, too. Oh, yeah, Dr. Stone. Uh, that was one of the titles we mentioned last week that was mixed. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Stone episodes one and two are available in English now, and I did watch both of those. Yeah. So. And then besides that, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Now, before we jump into our main topics, Josh, I do want to mention um, not enough news to warrant a topic, but something I did want to talk to you about briefly yeah. is uh, this this Konami stuff that's happening. What do you think about Konami outsourcing all of their big IPs and kind of giving them to other studios to handle? I think it's great. How do you feel? I about think that? it's great because I don't think Konami can make games anymore, and I think they suck. Dude, that's it. I'm with you. I'm with I'm, you. And, I'm... and then they're. Go ahead, I'm, I'm sorry. glad they realized that it's like, man, we're bad. 
we can't do this. So let's outsource it yeah. to other people. So exactly. I mean, there's rumors that they're outsourcing Metal Gear, Castlevania, and Silent Hill. And those are like three big franchises that we haven't seen much of in recent years. Uh, you know, Silent Hills was canceled. It had Kojima attached to it. Apparently, there's two rumors I've heard. Number one is that they tried getting um, the Und Until Dawn developers to make Silent Hill, which would have been different and kind of weird if it played like uh, the Dark Pictures Anthology and uh, Until Dawn. Mm -hmm. But it was a Silent Hill game. Like, I feel like that'd be kind of weird. Um, but also Bloober. The guys oh, that yeah, are yeah, yeah, yeah. That gate. What is it? The medium, the, the I think. Medium, and they did layers of fear, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Apparently, they are teasing even now that they're working on Silent Hill. Yeah. Um, if that's so, the case, that'll be pretty slick. I agree. I agree, man. Uh, I haven't played any of Bloopers games, but their new one that's coming out looks pretty serious. Yeah. So the the medium has gotten reviewed well, um, and it's a very interesting game. And they've they've done oh they did Blair Witch too uh -huh. um so they are a talented studio for sure especially in the horror indie horror genre realm so gotcha yeah all right yeah i just wanted to bring that up it was something that i didn't think would warrant a full topic but i'm excited because konami they're such whores about their ips and they don't do anything with them right yeah so konami sucks dude now they can literally whore it out and i'm happy yeah konami is a big steaming pile of doo-doo so that's right all right, let's hop into our first topic for today, Brett. All right. Um, so Con line happened. Awful name. Terrible name. We've talked about it so much. It's garbage. Um, happened uh, a few days ago from at the time we were recording this. Um, and in there, uh, they showed off, you know, Diablo 2, the remastered thing. Um, they showed off Overwatch. But also, you know... They were, obviously, this is a big gaming event, so it was streaming on Twitch, right? Both from Twitch's own gaming channel, so Twitch's gaming channel, their first Twitch's gaming channel, okay? And then there was a bunch of, obviously, co-streams and other creators streaming it um, and reacting to it and things like that. So uh, BlizzCon had the awesome idea to have a Metallica concert um, in the middle of the event which is cool and they they always have really good musical guests yeah uh and we like metallica um Love you them. know so that was really cool but because of the dmca and twitch's copyright rules people were scared that they were going to get strikes when metallica started playing so you know there was partners and co-streams that like sh muted the sound when metallica started playing and Twitch's own gaming channel, again, that was streaming the event, that was one of the highest, you know, the most concurrent viewers for it, had to mute Metallica playing, and instead they dubbed in this really just terrible garbage, like, fake Zelda music that is just so funny, uh, you have to see it for yourself. So, I've watched the video. Brett, have you actually seen this footage at all or no? I've seen like a 30, not even 30 second clip, like a really short clip. All right, so that's that's uh, the one I wanted to show you. But it sounds almost like what I heard. It was it sounded like Christmas music almost. It was weird. Yeah. So what we're going to do is, um, since Brett already saw it, I'm just going to play a little bit of it right now, the transition for you all uh, to see how abysmal it is. So, it, you know, 
take a look at this real quick. So, um, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and it's really funny, actually, because copyright law and Metallica go far back, too. Mm -hmm. uh, if you remember back in the day, there was a, a program for sharing music called Napster. Yes. And Metallica sued Napster because their music was being illegally distributed through Napster. Uh, they, they've always had such sticks up their ass, specifically Lars Ulrich, mm -hmm. the drummer, uh, about copyright and music and getting, you know, music legally. Right. So it's really funny that this is happening during their performance of all bands that it could happen to. Mm -hmm. It's it's the one that takes copyright so seriously. Yeah. And it's like you you couldn't work this out. It's because here's the thing, right? If this was a live event like they usually have for BlizzCon and there was fans in attendance, right? At least they got to enjoy the performance. Mm -hmm. This was a completely, to my understanding, completely virtual performance. Mm -hmm. And it got dubbed over on the most popular version of the stream. Right. What was the point? What was the point? Right. So something's got to get. This, we talked about it at nauseum on this channel. This doesn't work. This isn't helping anybody. First of all, it's not protecting the people that it's intended to, which are the music creators. And then it's just hindering actual content creators, including Twitch themselves, based off of their own fucking rules on their platform. Like, nobody is trying to sell Metallica's music in this and make money off of it. Nobody. Again, that's not what the fuck is happening. They got paid. They got paid to do it. Like, this is just so fucking stupid. And something's got to get... If I was give. Blizzard... If I was Blizzard, I would be livid with this situation because they paid money for a performance that no one got to hear. Literally. I don't know if they were streaming it on their website, and maybe if you uh, were watching on their website, it was not through Twitch or something. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, but I again, Twitch Gaming, you took your largest audience, right, where most people probably were, and were just like, yeah, no. Not to mention all of the co-streamers for the event that, like, just either got fucked from copyright or they had to stop their stream or stop playing it in the middle of that concert. That doesn't work. The system is totally broken. Uh, it fundamentally needs to change, and it's abysmal. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about this forever. Yeah. But also, so. at BlizzCon, Brett, we got some Overwatch 2 news. Yeah, and, you know, it was rumored, and I think someone even said you're not going to see Overwatch 2 at, at BlizzCon yeah. line, and it was there. So. It was there in all of its glory. What are What are your quick thoughts on it? I think it looks good. I think that they're really, they're really taking, you know, they're paying attention to the little details and, and they're trying to make it not seem like it is just an Overwatch 1.5 right. or a, a DLC. And they're really, you know, they're creating all these new skins and they're, you know, changing fundamental things. Like one of the things that I thought was really cool was they're changing every tank and every tank has like completely rehauled abilities where, you know, their knockback isn't as much as other characters because they're tanks, mm -hmm. right? Um, certain characters like Reinhardt now, they have different abilities. So Reinhardt now has two of his uh, R1 ability. I forget what it's called. The the fire strike mm -hmm. thing where he shoots the fire with his hammer. He has two of those now. Uh, you can control his his push and you could stop it and cancel it at any time you want. So it doesn't feel like you're just like this wild boar. Mm -hmm. You know, you actually have more control over your character. I just think the designs are really cool too for all the characters. They all look really good. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people were upset. 
about things like McCree. They think he got like whitewashed, but I'm pretty sure he's a white guy anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, he's just less tan than he was before. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're making a lot of changes. And I know you told me specifically that you are worried that it is not going to seem like it's a, uh, a single player game, right? I, I, like the single player, the multiplayer side of it. I'm worried that it's just going to feel like an update the same, um, yeah. which I like a lot of their stuff that they're doing, but, uh, I guess where I'm at is like the game has been in development so long. It seems like they're just copy and pasting with like new maps and some updates whereas like these are things that could have easily been done i feel like in the previous version um where it yeah that falters right is with the multiplayer stuff or the the single player stuff rather or the, the pve rather um and the story and some of the hero like storylines and like how you can go in and do all these different missions for your heroes to level up the hero and stuff like that and that's all cool um, and we had small elements of that in Overwatch 1 with updates. Um, I just, you know, they kept, they had this like 40 minute presentation. And, like they kept saying like we wanted to make it not seem like a, like an Overwatch like 1.5 or whatever. Like we didn't want it to seem like an update for the first game. And like to me, yeah. I just, I don't um, feel confident that that's the case okay. um, from what I've seen. And again, I'm not I'm not knocking any of the changes. Like I like like the the class passive stuff that they're adding. Like I like the reworks what that they're doing. The visual upgrades are nice. Like the maps and the yeah. design are cool. The different game modes. Like I get all that. But to me, I'm like, we've waited a very long time for this, and this game has also been in development for a long time. So like, where, um, why am I purchasing another game if it just feels like a really big update? I get that. I do. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, and I need to jump into the news of Overwatch 2 a little bit more to better understand what exactly is coming. Uh, I kind of just skimmed through their their reveal video. Uh, but like the skill tree stuff, what is the deal with that? So is that like you can change your abilities in multiplayer 2 or just the single player PvE stuff? Do you know? Um, I don't know if it's for multiplayer 2. To me, that seemed like it was just for like single player PvE stuff so that you could yeah. almost like RPG excuse me type skill yeah. trees um so it changes some of your abilities or like um you know like for mercy or um yeah mercy for example like her heal like one of the things becomes like a gun so you can like become offensive versus you know yep um so stuff like that yeah i wish that those kind of things were in the multiplayer because then it would feel different because everybody's characters would play differently yeah but the problem is i think there's so many changes that you can make on that skill tree that it would fundamentally change the game too much and balancing would be a nightmare. Right. And also, um, I think that if, if I'm remembering correctly, Overwatch one players are still going to be able to play with Overwatch two players. Like I'm pretty sure it's like the same core experience. Mm. Um, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I remember they were saying like, if you play Overwatch one, like you're still playing the same multiplayer game that you're playing with Overwatch two, but the graphics are going to be better. Uh, all the skins are going to transfer if I remember correctly. And the season or the the there you go season two, the Overwatch two character models will just be skins. Um, I don't know. I don't remember if that's exactly how it's going to be or not. But if that's the case, obviously you can't change too much with the system because it, it's just Overwatch one, right? Right. So, yeah, I don't know. We're gonna have to do more research. Uh, you know, just to see what exactly is different. But I'm I'm with you. I'm scared. I'm nervous. But at the same time, is it a completely a bad thing that we're getting more Overwatch if it's the same? No. No, not no, really. I'm just like, do I really want to spend $60 on it? Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah. 
I get that. And then there's the Diablo 2 remake stuff, which I've only played Diablo 3, but I know Diablo 2 is like a huge fan favorite. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's going to be on the Switch is pretty crazy. Yeah. So uh, I, I will, I'm excited to maybe try yeah, it. Yeah, I'll play that for sure. But. Okay. All right. Well, Josh, we're going to talk about the PlayStation 5 DualSense controllers yes. now. There's a, a lot in the news right now about the DualSense having stick drift. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what stick drift is, ladies and gentlemen, it's essentially when your analog stick will start moving by itself in game. So your character will be doing things that you aren't doing. Um, So let me read some of this article here. Uh, Since the PS5 was released last November, players have taken to social media to share stories about DualSense drift. So just a heads up, I'm experiencing this drift. And now, Josh, you're telling me that you're also experiencing For my my packaged original DualSense, yeah. Over the last week, um, started getting it on the sticks. Yeah, so it's a problem. And at the moment, your options for fixing a busted DualSense are slim. You could go through Sony's PlayStation support page, which has a dedicated portal for issues with PS5 hardware, including the DualSense controller. Just keep in mind that the PlayStation support team is swamped right now, uh, fielding requests about the PS5, which is still impossible to find. So... What this means is if you call support and you try to tell them about your controller, you're basically just going to get a lot of bullshit about, uh, you know, how do I get a PS5? How do I get a PS5? The article I read, the guy said that he was listening to a pre-recorded message that was so long, multiple times he had to listen to it. And all it was saying was, you know, if you're looking for a PS5, please know we are trying to get, you know, we're trying to get as many PS5s out as possible, blah, 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 blah. So it seems near impossible to even get into like contact with someone mm-hmm. about this issue. Um I see here in our notes, PS support is still abysmal. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Um, so the DualSense Drift is covered under your warranty, but you will, however, have to pay for shipping your controller to Sony to a repair center. Uh, a cost that varies based on the number of factors, including the location and total weight of your package. But Sony apparently covers the return shipping. So this is all good and fine, you know. However, I've had Sony products that have been under warranty that I've gotten replaced, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to pay for anything. Yeah. They shipped me a box, and I just put my item in the box, sent it in, they sent it back. Yeah. Uh, That's the way it should be, because it's not your fault. You know, especially if it's under warranty, the customer shouldn't have to pay anything at all. Exactly. Um, so, you know... This is causing some concern. People are getting upset. And a U.S. law firm is investigating a potential class action lawsuit over the PlayStation 5 DualSense drift. Josh, the company or the the, the law firm's name is Chimicles, Schwartz, Kreiner, and Donaldson Smith. Say that 10 times fast, dude. CSKND is, the, is their acronym. They're actually the firm behind the ongoing class action lawsuit against Nintendo Joy-Con Drift, which is another mm. huge, huge, huge console that had drift issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably heard of that, at least. Uh, so you can get in contact with Chimical, Schwartz, Kreiner, and Donaldson Smith uh, via, an, via an online form, and you can, uh, you know, try to get your, your class action lawsuit going on. Uh, so, Josh. Yeah. There's been an update. Yes. That was last week's news. Yeah. What's this week's news? So I'd like to add an addendum to, I mean, specifically why I think that class action lawsuit is going to go through. Um, so this last week, um, actually just yesterday at the time of filming this, maybe two days ago, um, the YouTube channel iFixit, um, for those of you that don't know, is just like a 
I don't know, it's like a YouTube fixing tech channel. Like they tinker with stuff, fix stuff, break, do breakdowns, stuff like that. They've been around for a while. Um, they looked into the reason of why this, you know, dual sense drift is happening. Okay. So what they found, Brett, is that the dual sense is using like an off the shelf joystick module that has actually been prone to issues and drifting in the past. Um, the same module was used for Nintendo, um, the uh, pro controllers, uh, which have also had uh, drift issues. Okay. So first of all, the joysticks are not easy to remove uh, or to replace quickly. You have to like, they're hooked up to the haptics in the, the controllers. So when you open it, you have to unsolder that. And then there's like 14 different solder points for like the actual uh, joystick module itself to be able to get that out and fix it. And it's, it's a mess. Well, so just to, you know, talk about that a little bit, I saw a little bit of the teardown. Someone actually, mm -hmm. when you read it, I believe, did a teardown of the controller mm -hmm. to show you what you would have to do to fix mm -hmm. it. And they had to remove the triggers right. just to get to a screw right. that would allow you to, you know, take the, the motherboard out. Um, and even like, like you said, like all the haptics and stuff that are in that controller, it is a very, very technical controller. There's so much stuff happening inside of mm -hmm. it. Uh, with the new technology, with the dual sense, we shouldn't have to do this, man. Yeah, we shouldn't have to break it down to fix it ourselves, right? So, continue. yeah. So, what if I told you that Sony knew, Brett? What if I told you that there's no way that they didn't know that this was going to be an issue? Would you believe me? I believe me? you. You absolutely. Yeah. So here's why: the company that that Sony got these through, right, is called Alps. Okay, and specifically the patent right on this or whatever is called Thumb Pointer, okay, which is their joystick controller, the the module um, that they bought, right, and it's supposed to be used as for game purposes, okay, as the company lists themselves, all right. So again, it was used on the Switch Pro controller. It's been used on the Xbox uh, Elite controller, um, uh, and now you know the DualSense controller. So the modules, Brett, were rated according to iFixit um, and you know from the company's own spec page for two million cycles. Okay. The life of the module for the sticks are two million cycles. So iFixit was like, okay, how do we contextualize this? So one of their engineers measured Call of Duty Modern Warfare um, input, right? Controller interactions. Okay, to do some basic math. So I'm going to read this to you. It's going to get very technical, but really there's only one number in this entire thing that you need to worry about. So averaging, averaging 10 different 30-second intervals, this engineer made roughly 100 full rotations per minute. Okay. If you play a less intensive game than a first-person shooter, you know, rotating, they estimated to rotate about 80 times per minute, you'll hit 2 million rotations in about 25,000 minutes. Okay. Or, Brett just a little over 400 hours of gameplay or about 209 days total if you only play for two hours a day. That's really okay. bad. But if you're doing more intensive gaming, like in a first-person shooter or, you know, a battle royale, for example, you could drop that down to about 139 days if you're only doing two hours per day. Okay. Mm. So, uh, bad. Basically, the, very much basically so. these have like a three to seven month life cycle, depending on how long you're using it, or about 400 hours of gameplay, right? Now, that's not to say that they can't fail before that, or that they wouldn't fail, right, and could last after that, but that is what the actual thumbsticks are rated for, 
That's really ass, man. I don't know what to say. How do you make um, that purchase and put it in such a advanced controller and just be like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you had to have known that you're purchasing these from a company, right? Like that's what they're rated for. How would you not know that? And you're okay with that? 400 hours is nothing for somebody, even yeah. like a casual gamer. That's like nothing. And you exacerbate that now with the pandemic and people are playing games and spending more time at home than ever. Come on, man. True. Come on. Hey, you know what? This is really interesting, actually, because the PS4 launched with thumbstick issues as well. Mm -hmm. If you remember, the rubber, the rubber was like wearing. Yeah. yeah, peeling off. Uh, so it seems like Sony can't get their shit together when it comes to the thumbsticks on launch consoles. But hopefully, just like the, the rubber on the PS4 uh, DualShock 4, uh, this gets fixed and future purchases will have better thumbsticks on them. Yes. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, they knew. So. No good. Bad. Fill out the class action lawsuit form, guys. Yeah, I will be. All right, Josh. Well, moving on. Mm -hmm. It is time. It is. For part four of Josh and Brett's top 50 games of all time. Today, we will be going through numbers 20 to what? 11. Nine, 20 to 11? Oh, 20. Oh, we're going to have some 11. good ones. So today is going to be juicy. Um, this is going to be really juicy. Before we pop into the list for today, we did want to give a quick update about where the standings are, right? For those of you that have been following this series and this segment, you know that we are going to ultimately lead this up to like Haptic Intel's top 10 games of all time. Okay. So yep. the way that we're doing this, um, and I don't spend too much time on it right now, because I know we'll talk about it more when that video comes out, but basically each game is getting assigned a point value based off of its rank right in our lists right so brett's 50 gets one point right whereas brett's number one will get 50 points because of right it's averaged out basically against all the other um numbers uh of the games that are in that list and then what we're going to yes. do is add those up right add our numbers so if a game if a game makes both my list and brett's list we add that up all right and that's its total score which then it gets ranked against all the other scores okay that's Again, right we'll go more into it when we get there but and these standings today are arbitrary because it's going to change literally as soon as we're done talking about numbers 20 through 11 yeah so so as it stands brett um the number one, well, actually, I guess I'll start from 10 down. Um, at 10, we got Sonic Mania right now. At 9, we have Tony Hawk's Underground. At 8, we have Control. <laughs> at 7, we have Guitar Hero 3. Um, at 6, we have Last of Us, the original one. At 5, we have Shovel Knight. At 4, we have Apex Legends. At 3, we have Overwatch. And at 2, we have Doom 2016. Or at 1, we have 2000. Wait, what? Oh. Call, I, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. That's our thing. Doom is, no, Doom is number one. Sonic Mania is Everything number else. nine. Call of Duty World yes. at War is number ten. Yeah. That's right. But anyway, that's, that's the top right now as it stands. That's right. All right. Well, listen, um, I think it's your turn to go first. Okay. So go ahead. All right. So let's get started. Numbers 20 to 11 of our top 50 favorite games of all time. My number 20 brett assassin's creed 2 wow assassin's creed 2 fun fact 
First Assassin's Creed game I ever played. Did I play Assassin's Creed 1 before playing Assassin's Creed 2? You bet your ass I did not do that. Did I play Assassin's Creed 1 after playing Assassin's Creed 2? You bet your ass I did. Did I like Assassin's Creed 1 more than Assassin's Creed 2? I don't want to spoil anything, but the answer to that question is no. Assassin's Creed 2 is fucking slick. It is the best Assassin's Creed game, in my opinion, still to this date. It has the best story with Ezio. It has the best overarching hub world story if you will with the organization that's going on outside of the animus it's fucking slick it's over the top and the era right and that they capture and that and the voice actor of Ezio and what's going on with the fucking um oh my god the organization outside i forget it now anyway what's going on in the real world versus the animus is slick how they intertwine are slick and the end of this game is one of the most fucking biggest mind fucks you will ever see in your entire life, okay? Inside of the Animus. It's slick. I 100%ed this game, okay? I 100%ed this game. The only thing that I didn't do in this game as far as achievements go, Brett, because I played this on 360, do you know what it was? Was collecting all the fucking feathers. I didn't collect all uh, the I've fucking about feathers that. because you know why? I've heard about it's that. It's fucking ridiculous. There's too many. Fuck the feathers, dude. That's the only thing I never did in this game. But everything else, I played the shit out of it. I got it on Christmas one year for my mother, and I played the fuck out of it. And I love it. And it's slick. And there still has not been an Assassin's Creed game that's as good as it to this date. I think the most recent entry is probably the closest it gets. But you know what? It gets nowhere close. Okay? Assassin's Creed 2, slick. My number 20. Wow. Assassin's Creed fanboys are going to come at you for not saying Black Flag was good, buddy. I never played Black Flag. Oh. So you're just lying to the people when you say no. there hasn't been After anything. Assassin's Creed 3, there hasn't been anything good. That's when they really cashed in on the franchise, and that's when I got out. So, Okay. Number 20 for me, keep it real short and sweet. It was your number 21, and it's The Last of Us, mm. uh, specifically The Last of Us Remastered. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that matters, but... Um, we'll call it The Last of Us the same thing yeah i don't i don't want to dwell too long i just want to say again the beginning of this game immediately gets you hooks you right from the beginning mm -hmm. uh cried like a baby and like i said before if a game makes me cry it's good yeah so last of us remastered last of us one uh is my number 20 very good my number 19 brett i think you knew it was coming i think you knew it was coming we haven't had a lot of nintendo games on our list thus far um but that's because well we're getting there now, folks, because Nintendo makes good games. My number 19 is Super Mario Odyssey. Josh, before you continue, my number 19 is Super <laughs> Mario Odyssey. Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, so I think we could just talk together yeah. at this point. Yeah, we'll talk together. Go ahead. And we'll loop back. I mean, what is there to say about Super Mario Odyssey? I'm not I'm not a fan of platformers. I'm really bad at it. Um like, I think there's, like, a serious dysfunction with my brain as far as spatial awareness inside of a virtual space goes um, because I'm really bad at platformers. I'm not precise with them. This is the first platformer, like, strictly platforming whatever adventure puzzle game, however you want to classify Mario. It's the first one I ever beat, right? It's the first Mario game I've really, truly ever, like, played for more than a few minutes. It is... So fucking slick. And let me just, besides the movement, right? How you get around the world, besides the colors, besides the fucking, like, just how well each area in it is designed, this level of exploration, the sense of discovery and fun. The fucking music, not only is the music slap in this game, it has 
one of literally the coolest fucking gaming moments you will ever experience. When that song plays, you know what I'm talking about. When it plays, where it does in the game, and how it's presented to you, my fucking cock rock solid. It's on the moon right now when that happened in the game. That game, slick. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, this is, you know, it's your typical 3D Mario collect-a-thon game. You're trying to collect all the, uh, you know, coins, all the moons, everything. Uh, this game is just... It's flawless. It's per. It's probably one of the only games on my list that I would say is like a perfect game. Um, it's just so much fun. Like you said, the movement. Holy shit! Playing as Mario in this game feels so fun, mm -hmm. and the inclusion of Cappy. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know what the hell this game would have been without Cappy, because not only like using him to traverse, but also like taking over the enemies and becoming them. Yeah such a cool mechanic and like the way you use that to solve certain little puzzles to get you know further in the game is just awesome it's just so good it's so fun everything about it and like you said the worlds are so well designed the outfits that you get like with the coins are so cool and so fun um i found myself wanting to grind and get the coins in every single kingdom so that i could buy the outfit for that kingdom while i played it um try to look <clears throat> fresh as fuck and uh I wish this game got DLC. It never did. And it's a fucking shame because it's so good. Yeah. And when you beat the game and you unlock the post the post game and you in that kingdom that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It was slick. Yeah. And then the skin or the costume in that area is slick as fuck. So, yeah. yes. Listen, Super Mario Odyssey. Forget about it. Okay. Great game. Yeah. All right, Brett, I guess we'll loop back around since that was both of our 19s. My number 18. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. My number 18, Brett. A game I know you're fond of. A game I know you love, that I love, that we've talked about, that we've spent a lot of time in. And that is Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, the original. Yep. Wow. Um, first of all, it is the game that is essentially the... Uh, start of what modern shooter multiplayer is still to this day this was really what kicked it off and mainstreamed it okay um it took the already awesome kind of um formula that formula that was there for call of duty for multiplayer and just kicked it up to a thousand and then there's the campaign folks i mean the characters the settings the level design the slick fucking moments this is a slick fucking call of duty campaign it is like the pinnacle of blockbuster like a popcorn movie in a video game but fucking slick okay and turned up to a thousand i remember each story beat in this game perfectly and then it's just i don't even know what else there's to say about it it's just slick it is still to this date in my opinion the best call of duty game the best call of duty campaign uh that's it. Yeah. Yeah, this game rocks. And it's not the last time we're going to talk about it. It's going to be on my top 10. So god. we'll see you there, folks. Oh my god. Damn. This yeah. is becoming insane, folks. That that game means a lot to me. So it's 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 very high on my list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number 18, correct? Yep. Josh, my number 18 is a small indie game known as Hotline Miami. Wow. If you were saying that Super Mario Odyssey had good music, Hotline Miami also has fucking slick-ass music. Uh, 
the vibe of this game is so cool. It's so fresh. It's so different. It's literally the movie Drive, but in a video game, in like an 8-bit video game. Everything about it is just fun. It's flashy. It's quick. It's fast-paced. It's just a badass, violent John Wick game. <laughs> you literally feel like you're John Wick when you're playing this game. Uh, all the different masks that you can wear give you different abilities when you're playing. Um, this game rules. It's great. And the one thing I will say, and it doesn't knock this game at all, is that the sequel to this game is not anywhere near as mm -hmm. good. And I wish that it was because a sequel, a true sequel to Hotline Miami 1 could, if they like improved on everything, this could be in my top 10, in my opinion. If it was, if they made a Hotline Miami 2, that was just the same thing as one, but even better. No brainer. But this game is great and it's well-deserved on my top 20 list. Uh, if you haven't played it, pick it up. It's really cheap. You could probably get both games in a bundle for really cheap. Yeah. So go check it out. Very cool. All right, Brett, my number 17, uh, a game that's already been discussed, um, I believe. Yeah, I think it was already on your list. Um, that is Resident Evil 2 Remake. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Wow. Um, I don't have much else to say um, from what Brett said, uh, except that this game is pretty much the um, pinnacle of survival horror experiences in video games. The story first of all is awesome and how each playthrough intertwines with the previous one i've played through this game three times fully and like brett once i finished one playthrough i was ready to start the next one um which doesn't usually happen for me because again my attention span is about the size of a peanut so if you don't grab my attention i'm going to get out of it pretty quickly um the uh design of the police station specifically and how it connects and how you go about solving the puzzles um, and going back and forth. I know maybe at the time of Resident Evil 2 that was groundbreaking. Today, it's not as much, but it's done so well. And I love a game with good puzzle solving. I crave it. I enjoy it. Figuring it out. And the way that this game handles it is slick. And then you add fucking X gonna give it to you, dude. I mean, and it adds this whole other level to like thinking on the fly and thinking on the feet and oh shit, what the fuck is going on and where do I need to go? And it's voice acted so well. It looks so good. I love this game. I love it. Yeah, it's a great addition. I put mine a little uh, lower on my list. Uh, it was number 26 for me, so not too far off. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's such a good game. I love it. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Josh? Interestingly enough, my number 17 is Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, which is a very different Resident Evil game. It's in first person, and it's kind of like the new direction for the Resident Evil franchise moving forward with Resident Evil Village coming out. Uh, it's a continuation of, of 7, and it's the same kind of first person gameplay. Uh, I just, there's something about Resident Evil 7 that really resonated with me. I think that. The fact that it was different, it wasn't like four, five, six in the third person action style. It was like full on horror game again for the first time in a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And also they released this demo, two demos. One was called The Kitchen, Josh. Mm -hmm. And if you remember, this was kind of even before Resident Evil 7 was like announced that people were talking about this VR demo called The Kitchen mm -hmm. and it scared the shit out of people. Yeah, including us. 
including us. And then they put out a demo on the PlayStation Store for Resident Evil 7. And it was like a little mini experience, uh, maybe akin to the Maiden demo for Resident Evil 8, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it scared the fuck out of me. Mm -hmm. And it was like so creepy. We didn't know what the plot was going to be. We didn't know if it was paranormal because there was rumors that it was like about ghosts and not zombies anymore. But the game was just so fucking scary, dude. And it's in VR. Mm -hmm. There's a VR mode. It's just... It's so good. And the story was actually really well done. Mm -hmm. um, and talk about some like memorable ass moments in horror games. When Jack busts through that wall. Forget oh, it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Forget it. There's the boss fight in the garage with the car. What the fuck yes. was that? Yes. What the fuck was that, dude? Yeah. And just when you think the game's over, you're on a giant boat. What the hell was that? It's just... It's so wacky. It's so good. I'm really excited for Resident Evil Village. Uh, I want to know more about, you know, Ethan, what's happening with him. And, uh, yeah, I think that this game kind of revolutionized the franchise. And it, it's obvious that they sold it sold well, because guess what? They're making a sequel to it. And uh, it's the new franchise norm, this first-person thing. So, yeah, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard is my number 17. Well, Brett, it's funny that it's your number 17, because my number 16 is Resident Evil Biohazard. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Um yeah. Uh I don't have anything else to add, uh, really. Uh and I thought about cutting you off at the beginning and be like, oh my number sixteen is this, but I just want to add one more thing that you didn't. Um I, I echo everything you said. And that is I think this game also has a level of replayability to it with the different endings with Mia. Um mm, that's true. Um, and how that changes what happens and i'm interested to see how resident evil 8 handles that and if they pick like a definitive one which i think is there's they there's did. like a yeah um but the end of this game depending on what happens and i i know we've both seen all the different endings it is it is just done so well um and is another example of like i'm a really big sucker for um having witnessed a fail state in a game without knowing that you have already failed. Yeah. Um, and it's like a, a kind of like a gotcha type thing, I guess, but I don't know. I'm just a sucker for it. I think this game handles that well. I echo everything that you said. It's fucking slick. It's scary. And the VR mode makes me poop my pants. Okay. Exactly. All right. Number 16 then is another horror game. Pseudo horror. Oh, it's horror. Left for dead Two. This isn't your number 16, no. is it? Or your 15? No. Okay. No, but it will not be the last time you hear that game, just saying. Mm. Okay, good. So Left 4 Dead 2 is a four-player co-op survival horror experience in which you are killing zombies. Uh, you know, Left 4 Dead 1 came out, and it kind of took the world by surprise. Mm -hmm. And very shortly after, Resident <laughs> Left 4 Dead 2 came out. And uh, people actually knocked it when it came out. They said it's not different enough. It's too much of the same. Uh, it came out too quick. They should have spent more time on it. And while all those things are true, it, it was simply just a better version of Left 4 Dead 1. Mm -hmm. And then they even packed in the levels from Left 4 Dead mm -hmm. 1 as DLC. Mm -hmm. So it was like the definitive way to play Left 4 Dead, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so fun. We've so many countless hours in this game with you and our friends and... Um, <laughs> like playing it on xbox 360 and then having i remember at one point we had mods mm -hmm. 
and it just it made the whole experience so different. Uh, and on PC, it's got this huge modding community. I know it's huge on PC. Mm-hmm. We even played it recently because they put out the first official level yes, in like which years. was slick, and it was really cool. And it was a really cool experience. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I think that it's just a really memorable game. I wish that Valve made games because when they make them, they make them well. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a great example of that. Um, Thankfully, the team that did this game is making Back for Blood, which looks just like Left 4 Dead. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. But it's just so fun. This game is great. And it kind of like invented a, not a genre, but it like pioneered this this genre. Um, it kind of took like what Call of Duty Zombies was doing, mm-hmm. did its own version of it with this like horde mode thing, but added like a campaign element to right. it. Uh, it's just it's great and the multiplayer where you can play as the zombies like the mm-hmm. special infected versus mm-hmm. the humans is also really really mm-hmm. good usually if it, if it was bad i would have knocked it uh, mm-hmm. but it's done well yes so all right talk about that again later uh all right my number 15 brett this might be the last surprising thing i have on my list that i don't know if you would expect me to list on here Okay. Um, and that is Death Stranding. Mm. Yeah. This is one of the most unique experiences I've ever had playing a video game. Um, and I'm going to take you through all the reasons why I think there's merit to it. And I'm going to take you through one of the deciding factors of why I put it so high on my list. Okay. First of yeah. all, it's if you want to boil it down sure you can call it a walking sim with resource management you could but it's so much more than that right the way first of all the design from a design perspective the art the world the characters the enemies the tech like it's it's just such outside of the box next level thinking that we've really never seen before in media in general the game also invented its own genre, right? What Kojima calls a strand game now. But I also had so much fun and it was so relaxed playing this game um, that it almost gave me like, I don't know even know what the correct word for it is, but you know when you have like ASMR, right? That effect and you're just like, mm. you know what I mean? This game did- Like Bliss. Yeah, exactly. This game did that for me. Um, I loved playing it. Um, I really should go back and platinum it because I'm not that far away and I can do it pretty easily. Um, it's brutal. It's weird. It's over the top. It's Kojima in his like most Weirdest. unrelenting form. Um, and I love it. But the real deciding factor for why I put it on my list, Brett, you know, the famous saying that life imitates art. This game was prophetic. This game was prophetic right before the coronavirus pandemic. Um, You're right. And I, thinking about that, I was like, Kojima is such a genius. Like thinking about this or taking elements of our society that have been kind of exacerbated due to the coronavirus pandemic. And he contextualized it and put it in a game that then in one form or another kind of became a reality. Um, so that's why it's on my list and it's my number 15 and it's so high on my list. Yeah, that's very true. I actually didn't think about it like that. Very prophetic. Um, 
I love this game too. I had a great time with it. It didn't make my list at all, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But listen, we stand Kojima on this podcast for sure. Uh, He's a genius and everything he makes is art. And there's no doubt that Death Stranding is art and it made me cry as well, just like a lot of other games on this list did. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you probably know the moment that I I Mm -hmm. cried. Um, There's some big reveals in this game, some big twists, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. it. It wasn't my favorite. It was like... When you watch a really good, well, like highly regarded film, and you're like, "That was really good," but it just wasn't for me. Like, it didn't t- like check all my all the boxes of like a movie I would typically like. Yeah. That's kind of like what Death Stranding was, where like I didn't necessarily love it mm-hmm. in terms of like story and genre because it wasn't my typical thing. Right. But I still respect it and I still like it because it was genius and it was creative and it was kojima just going hey what if there's fucking babies inside of tube things in your chest that can detect ghosts that are halfway in the living world and halfway like what the fuck yeah yeah so didn't make my list but honestly great choice very good choice all right number 15 my number 15 i'm gonna get a lot of shit for this Uh uh-oh I'm going to get a lot of shit from, from me? this because a lot of from you, from everybody, I feel like this is a game that a lot of people are going to say should be higher, but just where the cards, when I lay them all out, it's where it landed. Okay. So I don't want any hate. This is a lot of people's number one. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, is my number 15. I hate you for that. I know you. Yeah, you're fine. I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it didn't make my top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you haven't mentioned this game yet, right? Not yet. Okay. See, that's what I thought. I thought it was going to be higher on your list. That's why I said that. Um, so listen, I'll let you, since it's going to be higher on your list, I'll let you really like get into this game. Um, but I just want to say it's beautiful. It's fun. It is from the moment the game starts and you play as Link and you walk to that cliff and you get that opening cinematic thing. It's just like, wow, this is beautiful. Mm I can't wait for the sequel. I can't wait to see what they do in terms of the, the puzzle solving and, and all of those things. I think that the gameplay mechanics in this game are basic, but can be used and abused mm-hmm. to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they give you ultimate freedom. They say, here is this this world, okay? Do, like, here is this puzzle. Here is this thing. Do whatever you want. Achieve, you know, achieve it however you want to. We're going to give you like these basic tools. You could do whatever you want. And that is just so much fun to me. They just let you do whatever the fuck you want. You can approach a puzzle in so many different ways, whether it's legit or glitchy even, because there's ways you can make your fucking character ragdoll and fly all around mm-hmm. the map. Um, but just the the freedom that you get in this game, almost to a fault, Josh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost they almost give you too much freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, my only knock against this game is that the world feels a little empty at times, uh, but it's such a huge open world game. It's running on the Nintendo Switch. I mean, listen, for everything it does bad, it does good times 100, okay? Mm-hmm. So the music is beautiful. Mm-hmm. The graphics are, are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, what are they called? The um, Divine Beasts? Mm-hmm. Is that what they were called? Those puzzle... Those fucking things were crazy and like getting through them and like managing the puzzles inside 
are just insane. So this could be higher on my list probably, but it's where it's where it landed. So Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, number 15, and I'll let you talk about it a little bit more when it's your turn. Okay. My number 14, Brett. A game I know is on your list somewhere, but it hasn't come up yet. That is Bloodborne. Oh. Um, I'm assuming it's quite a bit higher on your list. Um, Top 10. Yeah. Yeah, my number 14 is Bloodborne. What is there to say about this game? There's a lot that can be said. There is a lot. It is the first Souls game, Soulsborn game, whatever, that I played. Yep. Boy, did I not know what the fuck I was getting into. Like, I feel like I was not really a casual gamer before this, but I feel like I was a casual gamer before I played Bloodborne. Well, yeah, because it was a PlayStation exclusive, and we, we all figured it was just going to be like a PlayStation exclusive right. game, like, you know, like their usual game. I didn't know what the fuck I was getting into. So let me tell you a little story, right? Okay. So I go to the midnight launch of this game. Were you there with us? I wasn't. No. I was not. So I go to the midnight launch of this game um, with uh, somebody who we used to be friends with. We have a good time at the launch. We get goodies. I'm watching the gameplay. I'm like, damn, these fucking textures look slick. This game looks like a lot of fun. It was clearly being played by somebody who was uh, very knowledgeable already of the franchise or the series uh, from software specifically. I get the game. I go home, pop it in. I start playing it. Get into Yarnum. Go through that first little area. I did not know what the fuck was going on, folks. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. I bet you had a very similar experience to me, which I, I think I can confirm you had a very similar experience to me, where you probably made it to the pack of Yarnum uh, villagers with the bonfire yep. several times and would die yep. and start over. Um, several times is an understatement. Um, hundreds of times. And this first night, I can't believe the headset and the multiple controllers that I was using did not break. Because, dude, after a few hours and keep dying over and over again, I didn't look up a guide. I didn't know what the fuck was happening. I was like, why is this game so hard? What the fuck is going on? Throwing my controller, throwing my headset, getting pissed off, shutting the game off, going back to it. But it really was the perfect introduction to the franchise or the, that type of game, right? And from software games and Soulsborne games, because it's like, yeah, that's what the game is. You're going to fail a million fucking times until you figure out what works, right? And how to learn all the enemy movements and how to persevere. And now today, looking back, I've beaten this game several times. I've played it with you several times. We've played it through multiple uh, with other friends. Um, I am really ashamed that I still don't have the platinum trophy in this game because I should. Um, and now I can definitely go back and do it very easily. Um, I know the layout of this game like the back of my fucking cock okay because of how long and how meticulous i had to be playing this game i know it from top to bottom extremely well and then there's the dlcs which are slick it's just it is a master class in design it is a master class of what i think games like this should be and yes it's hard but you can overcome it if you persevere through it and you learn 
right? And you learn from your mistakes and you don't do the same thing over and over and over again. And then not to mention the art and the world building and the atmosphere. And uh, I mean, the fucking design of the enemies and the bosses. And it's just so fucked up and slick. And then you beat your first boss. And I think um, when that happened, the first one is Father Gascoigne. That you, there's two. The first one that's that's mandatory is Father Gascoigne. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, but that's the first one I did, dude. When I beat Father Gascoigne for the first time, I mean, my cock was fucking rock solid, dude. And that's when I was hooked. And that might have honestly been like 20 hours into me playing the game, um, because of how bad I was. So that's a good point. I was gonna say actually, I was waiting for you to finish. I wanted to mention like, I think when I beat the game. I realized that I spent more time in Yarnum in that first area just trying to figure out how to play the game mm -hmm. than I did actually beating the rest of the game. I would concur like, with that. Like once it clicked, I got through the rest of the game faster than it took me for it to click. Mm -hmm. And that might be a turnoff for some people. Like it took you 20 hours to like get the game to click for mm -hmm. you. It's like, yeah, but I, I don't think the game is hard. I think the game is different and you just have to learn how to play mm -hmm. it. It's like learning how to ride a bike. Right without training wheels right right um i agree with everything you said there's one specific moment in the game uh one specific area that like to me is very special and like makes bloodborne different than the rest and there's also moments in bloodborne that make it different and stand out so i have several i'll give you one right now there is a part in bloodborne where there's a guy you're talking to on the other side of the door and the door's locked. And you're like, hey, man, let me in. And he's like, nah, you can't come in here. You're abysmal. You finally get the key. And you go. And you find out that the guy you've been talking to this whole time is dead already. Mm -hmm. And he's just a skeleton sitting in a chair. And when you talk to him, it says already dead yeah. or something like that. And like that was a moment for me where I was just like, wow, what is this game? Like, this is just insane. Yeah. That's like a moment that sticks out to me. Yeah, But it has um, a lot like that where it's just like. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Like, the world is not good. Yeah. I don't want to spoil everything I'm going to say, but another one is, like, when you consume the, um, what is it called? Insight, mm -hmm. and you get more insight, the world literally changes. Once you kill a certain boss, the world literally changes. Big mistake. You start to see things that weren't there before, and it's just such a cool thing Yeah, uh, it, to have. It event. has the most um, satiant themes of any of the souls games uh, i think even more so than honestly I dark are. souls 3 too um it is yeah. very like i think there's a lot of commentary on on like honestly like class structure um and like having like a political message honestly of like you know wealthy versus poor um and how mm -hmm. plagues and things like that impact the poor versus the wealthy but i also think it's one of the more spiritually like just transcendent types of stories um in all of the games where it's like you keep fighting these things that you don't know about and you yourself are becoming insane because of the impact from the world and how you are interacting with it and it physically changes yeah. essentially the more violent you become and then yep. the multiple endings are just each within their own right, like a perfect summation of the game. Um, yeah, there's two things I want to point out here. So number one is it's it's very much inspired by Lovecraft, right? But more so than you can even imagine, because the whole point of Lovecraft stories is like 
there's creatures that are so so crazy looking that you can't even imagine right and once you see them you go mad mm -hmm. that quite literally happens in bloodborne right. where you see creatures that are so you, you as you play the game the bosses get increasingly disturbing and your your insight goes up and up it's almost like it's your madness mm -hmm. and the, the world just starts to shift and you start to see things that weren't there before right. um i love your point about the class warfare and the, the playing and stuff like that because that's another thing that Bloodborne does so well is that it has all of this narrative that you don't have to even like pay attention to if you don't want mm -hmm. to. But the class, the class warfare thing is there. And there's also like this spiritual storyline where it's it's like science versus religion yeah. um, because you have what's his I don't even remember their names. Um, the dude with the holy blade, Ludwig yeah, or whatever. Ludwig, yeah. Like he's he's like the religious thing and then there's like the science where it's like you have to open your eyes and like you have to look within and, and all mm -hmm. that um and like humans are going to stay the same unless we evolve mm -hmm. even further you know what i mean mm -hmm. so there's so many things about this game that are just like rock solid pinor mm -hmm. um and i'll talk more about that when it pops up on my list in the top 10. all right all right number 14 franchise that's been on my list already but this is josh what i would call the ultimate installment in this franchise and that is super smash bros ultimate wow this game takes everything about the smash franchise and just you know quite literally takes everything from the smash franchise and puts it together literally every character from a smash game returns mm -hmm. in smash ultimate it is the ultimate love letter to video games it has characters from you know as far back as Pac-Man and Duck Hunt, Mario, like Donkey Kong. Um, it is just, it's just great, man. There's such a community behind Smash now. And I'm so happy as a kid, I grew up playing Melee mm -hmm. and Melee was on my list. Mm -hmm. I grew up playing Melee with my friend, um, a former friend of both of ours, actually. Mm -hmm. And it took up so much of my life. Uh, when I got my GameCube, Melee was the first game I got. And uh, I don't want to spend too much time sucking off Melee, but Smash has been like a huge part of my life ever since then. And I think just Ultimate is the ultimate love letter to Smash fans and gaming fans alike. They're still putting out characters. They're still putting out content. Sakurai, you know, literally had health issues while making the Smash franchise because it's so demanding and he pumps them out and he, he's just so hardworking. And like, his wife does the menu design for like the UI design mm -hmm. for for the for Smash. It's just like such a a love letter. He he's literally like writing us a love letter when he's designing this game. Uh, the music, the remixes, the stages, uh, you know, the inclusion of like the Omega stages and the Final Destination stages is like something that was like a huge, you know, game breaker for everybody. Like it just changed everything. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's truly the ultimate version of Smash, and uh, it's one of the best games of all time. Yeah. Even if you still prefer Melee, you have to understand that like Ultimate is just like it is Smash. Yeah. You know. All right. So very cool. My number thirteen, Brett. <laughs> Maybe this one will actually surprise you too. That is Uncharted Four: A Thief's End. Yeah, that does surprise me. How far we have come, folks. Um, story time again. I hated Uncharted. I was not a fan of the Uncharted mm -hmm. franchise. 
Um, I was in a stage in my life where I was like, mm, everything needs to be like super deep and like unlike anything I've seen before. And I stubbed my nose at it for a while because I didn't love the storytelling. I thought the, the gameplay was like too similar to so many things I've seen. Um, and I played them a little bit, but I was just, I don't know. It just didn't do anything for me. And then Uncharted 4 was announced. And I was like, <clears throat> at a time in my life where I was like, all right, they're coming out with like the remastered collection or whatever it was. I was like, let me, let me go back and see what's going on. I played Uncharted 1 and it was fine. And I played Uncharted 2 and it was pretty good. And then played Uncharted 3 and I was like, this is fine. But I found myself like falling in love with all of the characters. Um, and like Sully and, you know, Nathan himself um, and his wife and all these other side characters and like the relationships that he was having and the places they were going. And I was like, oh shit, dude. Like, I like what's going on here. But I still wouldn't call myself an Uncharted fan. And then I played Uncharted 4, dude. Holy shit, this game made me fucking sob like a little baby. The story is so good. And it does something similar to what The Last of Us, well, not to the same extent, but what The Last of Us 2 does, where it challenges you with the characters in it. They do things that are different than what they would have done before because they are fundamentally different people where they are. They do things that you do not agree with, and you're like, stop, relax, like, enough, forget it. And that, specifically with Nate and, like, his adventure and his, like, I need to go do this type mentality. And all of the relationships that he has come back to either help him or bite him. And then there's the end of the game. And I don't want to spoil it, but you get two things. One, something you've always wanted from the franchise and the characters, right? And then two, something you don't want. And it's like a, oh shit, but also you feel so full and it's so happy and so hopeful. And it made me just fucking sob. And I was like, this is perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. Please never make another one ever again. It is like the ultimate finale, love letter to the franchise, open-ended ending so they could come back to the one, but also perfect ending so they never need to. And once again, Neil Druckmann, my man, just fucking knocks it out of the park. So, Josh, that's fine and well, but we have a video on our channel, Privated, right now, called jo Why Josh Hates Uncharted mm -hmm. Discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's from the former Half the Cast, episode seven. Yeah. It's literally from March 21st of 2015. Yeah. So would you say that you no longer hate Uncharted? No, I don't. Good. I don't. That's why I said we've come a long way. We've, we've come a very we've long, come long way. We've come a long way. Um, and this game uh, is really good. Um, and the narrative is what I will remember. There's criticisms you can make absolutely for sure with the gameplay. Um but the set pieces, um, the characters and the storytelling, and it is the perfect example of giving you just enough to make you happy while also challenging you um, and growing with the characters. Um, yeah, and I wanna I want to defend you real quick too because that video was from right before, um, well, maybe not right before, but Uncharted 4 still hadn't come out at this point, mm -hmm. and it was delayed. Yeah. 
so you haven't you didn't actually play the game that you are now ranking so high on your list mm-hmm. yet so eh, that's true i'm defending you there that's true I'm defending you. but yeah so number 13 <laughs> uncharted 4 that thief sent all right well listen i got bad news for you uh-huh there's a game on this that my next game on this list number 13 you're going to be very upset with me for where it's at. Oh, no. I thought you I said that about want... Zelda, though. Yeah, but this one more so. I feel like this is going to be your number two or, or one or three. <clears throat> so I, I apologize. My number 13 is The Last of Us Part 2. I knew it. I knew he was going to get upset. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm actually not that upset. Okay, good. Um, l- listen, Last of Us Part Two. This is the first time it's come up, right? Because it is higher on your list, I would assume. Yes. Yeah, The Last of Us Part Two is a very different game than The Last of Us Part One, uh, in many ways. By this point, the characters are so different. Ellie's grown up; she's going through life. Things are are changing for her. She's finding herself. She's finding out who she is what she likes um and joel is just trying to be a father figure for her you know he lost his daughter um he grew up with her he saved ellie you know um but there's a dark secret that he's hiding and it creates a strain between the two and just as fast as they get into this fight and they're not really talking um you know something gets taken away from one of them and I don't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you know what I mean mm-hmm. by that. And um, this game makes you fucking despise a, char- a new character uh, for her actions. And by the end of it, maybe a little too much on the nose, but they make you care about this character that you just hated. And not only do you care about her, but you understand her point of view and her side of the story. Um, there's so many beautiful moments in this game. Take On Me. Um, you know, the Pearl Jam song. Uh, the several instances of the Pearl Jam song, uh, the, especially the last one. Uh, I saw it coming. And when it happened, it was like the ultimate sense of dread. Mm-hmm. I just felt awful. I felt so bad. You, I think you know what I'm talking about with this one as well. We've we've kind of talked about it a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, you know, it's it's a story of someone that loses it all in the end. And uh, I'm excited to see where the story goes if they decide to make a part three. And I'm really excited to see how they tackle this if we ever get to this point in the, the HBO TV show. Mm. Uh, I, f- I feel like the second season... Or this, I feel like part two would make a better show than part one, mm-hmm. almost because of how fucked up it is and just how different it is from the first one. Um, I'll let you since this is higher on your list. I won't go on anymore. Um, again, the game doesn't do anything crazy with the gameplay. Um, it's 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 very much you know your naughty dog game experience that you're you're used to, mm-hmm. um, but. There are some terrifying moments with the with the, the zombies, um, the infected. But there's more so terrifying moments with the humans 
in this game. Amen, brother. And, uh, I'll leave it at that. Amen. So, Last of Us Part 2, number 13. You just 13. hit the fucking cock on the balls right there, my man. Yeah. All right. My number 12, Brett. Um, one that you, A game that you already mentioned today, and that is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Okay, not too far not off. Not too far off. Pretty close, actually. Yeah. Um, story time again. This Here we go. This is the and um, you can string me up by my bootstraps. I don't like. Uh, this is the first Zelda game I ever played, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the first Zelda game I ever beat and experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the things why I love the Switch so much is it's a lot of firsts for me. First Mario game, first Zelda game. Um, and god damn, they're fucking incredible games. This game checks off... If if I had to make a list, right, of things that make Josh cock hard in video games, this game checks about every single one, except for maybe horror. <laughs> um, and even then, there's some weird parts in this game, but I wouldn't classify them as horror. Um, but the I echo everything that you said. The level of exploration, right? The the easy to pick up, difficult to master RPG almost like design. Well, RPG design of it. This is essentially a Western RPG. Um, I was just gonna say it's very much a Western, not a yeah, Japanese. It's, it's a Western RPG. RPG. Um, the way that the story is told, the way that the world is presented to you, and how it's designed and opens up to you based off of the abilities that you focus on. Um, the puzzle solving is some of the most incredible in any video game I've ever played. Like you said, you can go about them any way you want to, and the level of discovery even within those is insane. And I feel like every time I played this game, it was like a breath of fresh air, and I was so happy playing it. Was it like the uh, breath stop, of the wild? Don't even do it. I knew you are <laughs> um no pun intended on that part but the i feel like the large over the top um important story moments in this game were given just as much attention to the detail um and care as the small more intimate um discoveries and experiences and moments in the game um from top to bottom it is a master class and open world game design um it is a beautiful story and has some incredibly fucking slick moments with the beasts and then, of course, Ganon. Um, uh, I don't have anything else to say for that other than it is an incredible piece of art and an incredible video game. I agree. All right, number 12 for me. This might be... Actually... I haven't heard of anything from this franchise on your list yet. So either you have it high up or you forgot about it or um, you just don't care for it as much. Uh, Bioshock. Wow. Is that on your list at all? It is not. None of them. No. And okay. I'm, That's I would That's say fair. I'm ashamed, but I'm not. I have, I'll okay. let you go and then I'll explain. Um... Okay. Um, the franchise does some great things. Mm-hmm. Bioshock is, you know, a game that's very unique mm-hmm. and a franchise that is very unique. 
I didn't put Bioshock 2 or Infinite on my list at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, only the the first game. So I won't talk too much about the franchise. Um, but just like this, the idea of like, the idea of like there being multiple universes and, you know, in one universe, there's always a, what is it? There's always a lighthouse and there's always a girl and there's always a whatever. Lighthouse, a girl, a boat, a storm, fire. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's really fucking cool. Okay. That's really cool. But this is before all that. I don't even know if any of that shit was even planned at this point. We're talking about Bioshock 1, okay? What a fucking game, man. Like, just how incredible. From the moment it starts, you're in a plane, and you're in the water. You're swimming. You find a lighthouse. You get in the lighthouse, and guess what, Josh? You're not going up. You go down. You go down. And you know where you end up? Rapture. One of the coolest sets in a in any media ever it's an underwater underwater city okay and it's so cool it has this like 50s art aesthetic to everything because of when it takes place obviously um but like there's like a masquerade thing where all of the enemies have like the masquerade ball masks on um it's like art nouveau a little bit kind of uh, actually it's very much art nouveau i would say mm-hmm. A lot of teals, a lot of golds, a lot of reds, right? It's such a beautiful world. And it's also dilapidated. It's falling apart. You, you're seeing you're seeing this underwater city that was like this huge risk. All these rich people moved down here and it didn't work. The society failed, right? Um, all these people are addicted to drugs and going crazy. And, you know, the... The structural integrity of the city is quite literally falling apart. Uh, but then it's also fucking horrifying, Josh. Because amongst all of this debris and rubble and, you know, water, it's just wetness everywhere, there's big daddies. These things that fucking will fuck you up. Okay? And then there's the little sisters and the mechanic where you could save them or you could harvest them. Um... And it impacts the story, actually, quite a bit, depending on which direction you choose. Um, the, the abilities, like the fire, like all the different, um, I forget what they're called. Do you remember what the abilities were called? Oh, the um, tonics? Yes. Mm-hmm. All the tonics were so cool and very unique. Uh, it was almost like a superhero game in that regard. Um, but you had guns and shit, too. Um it's like weird because like Bioshock is almost like a horror game. I wouldn't say it's a horror game, but it has like horror elements in mm-hmm. it. Uh, there's so many moments that were really spooky. But there's also the story, Josh. The story has one of the coolest twists. Um, I'll just say this, Josh. That's all I'm going to say about, about Bioshock 1. Um, so would you kindly please move on to number 11? Do you want me to explain to you real quick why it's not on my list at all? If you would like to, yes. Would you kindly please explain to me why it's not on your list? Um, first of all, if we had more honorable mentions, they all would be, um, mm-hmm. including two. Um, I love two. I love, well, that's where it kind of starts and stops with me. It's like, I, oh my God, I'm going to be crucified for this if I say it out loud. Oh, I almost like the story of two more than one. I almost had That's a fair. better time with two versus one. I know one in every sense of the word is a better game. But for me personally, I think I enjoyed two more 
why none of them made my list is because I personally always found the gameplay loop very, um, I just got tired of it very quickly, more than a lot of other games on my list. And it's not that it's not cool. The tonics are cool. I always felt the gunplay was kind of ass. And I just never... It, was, it wasn't great. I never felt like I enjoyed the gameplay loop more so than anything else that's on my list currently. That's fair. So, I do want to point out that Bioshock 2 is very good. Mm -hmm. And it gets a lot of hate. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um, you play as a big daddy. Right. And aren't you searching for your daughter or something? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. The and it's plot. short. It is shorter, yeah. but I yeah. still enjoy it. And then Infinite is cool. Um, the social commentary in Infinite is awesome. But yeah, that's so that's why they're not on my list. That's okay. fair. My number 11, Brett, that's my last one for this week. Um, Maybe this will surprise you. I don't know. Probably not. And I know it. Uh, it sh I think it's going to be on your list. More recent game. And that is Demon Souls Remastered. Hmm. Not on my list. Really? Wow. Um, this game is awesome. I think here's what it stems from and why it's so high on my list. First of all, Bluepoint did an incredible job with it. Okay. The loop, the design, uh, the nature of it is so good. I had a great time playing through it with you. Um, I felt like the game, more so than any other Dark Souls game, was open up to like no matter what kind of play style or build you pick, you can be successful. Mm -hmm. It met me where Bloodborne was the first Soulsborne game I ever played, right? Where I was like basically binky in my mouth. I couldn't wipe my own ass. Demon Souls is the other end of that. It's like, I can fucking take care of myself in a Souls game now. I'm still not as good as a lot of other people, but I can take care of myself and I can experience the world in the way that I know it should be experienced. The exploration of it, learning enemy paths, all of that. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It has some fucking insane moments in it. And just from a design perspective, um, as far as the layout goes and how things connect and the elements that are introduced in it, um, I felt like I had to put it higher on my list than Bloodborne. Not the last Souls game that will be on my list, mind you. Um, but I also waited so long to play this um, and enjoy it in the experience that... Um, I think that also plays into it as well. So, yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, the remastered version that Bluepoint did is fantastic. Uh, Bluepoint never fails; they never miss. Um, it's great. It's a good game. Uh, I did play Demon Souls, so I was kind of playing it again, mm -hmm. not completely because I I didn't beat it the first time, but I feel like it was a little too too easy. I feel like you and I just steamrolled the whole thing. True. Uh, couple bosses were a little hard uh we had to do maybe five six seven times on the fire guy yeah. uh but i think the best part about demon souls remastered for me was all the stuff that blue point did mm -hmm. and like all the things that i thought was cool about the game were things that blue point did not so much what uh, from software did originally with the original one mm -hmm. uh so i just i don't know i didn't feel like it was it was worth being on my list uh, but in, in no way is it a bad game, and I don't knock you for adding it because everything you said was true. Yeah. All right. Josh, number 11. Yep. The final one for today. Yep. This game's a pioneer. It took the survival horror genre and 
put it in a new way that was never done before. And we've never looked back, Josh. Every survival horror game nowadays uh, stems from this. That is Resident Evil 4. We've talked about this almost at nauseum at this point uh, in several videos. Resident Evil 4 is such a great game a little too actiony it was a little it was kind of like the the start of like the action being in, injected into the survival horror element of resident evil but it's just such a badass game there's so many things about this game that are memorable um specifically the chainsaw guy with the paper bag on his or the sack on his head um the the chainsaw brothers or sisters or whatever uh the the merchant the traveling merchant, the what are you buying, stranger? Um, there's just so many things about this game that are memorable. The giant monster in the in the lake. I don't want to spoil. I'm trying to like yeah. be careful. All these gosh, things, I have I no idea what you're talking about. I know you and I are going to experience this together soon, mm -hmm. which is why I'm kind of like reserving. But it, there's so many games that have taken inspiration from this game that it's if it's not on your if you if if you've played it, which you haven't. And it's not on your top list. You're abysmal. <laughs> the Evil Within franchise would not exist. Uh, my, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but one of the games that topped my list was inspired by this game. Um, even the Resident Evil remakes wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Resident Evil 4. Yeah. So if you enjoyed those, you have Resident Evil 4 to thank. And... Uh, yeah, I think, Josh, you're going to get a better understanding of why this game is slick in the coming weeks when we play through it together. And hopefully it ends up on my list, which I'm sure it will. Yeah. All right, that's it. Okay. So, well, that is the sec fourth installment of our <laughs> top 50 games of all time. That was 20 to 11. Next week, folks, our top 10. Big, right. big 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 week so if you like this segment in this video please share it you know with your friends spread it around drop into the comments below let us know what your favorite games of all times are if any of them made our lists um and then you know we're ramping up here with our top 10 and then ultimately haptic intel's top 10 um of all time so yeah that's right Okay, Brett, our final topic for the week, as it is every week, uh, a segment we like to call Indie Intel around these parts. This week, we're talking about a game called Pine. Pine is a story-driven game about loss and letting go, go, told from the perspective of a grieving woodworker. A blend of illustration, animation, music, and sound, Pine tells its story wordlessly through interactions that pull you into the woodworker's experience as he struggles to hold on to his past. Um, they describe it as not quite a video game and not quite a graphic novel. Pine blends mediums to pull you into the woodworker's world. And interactive moments let you share the woodworker's struggles, turning Pine's animated scenes into personal experiences. So. Game looks beautiful. This game looks beautiful. It looks sad. You'll we'll be seeing it now. I've already seen some gameplay um, in this video. Um, or the trailer. It is... There's a couple things about it. First of all, it's a Kickstarter game, okay? Uh, it's currently sitting at uh, a little over $92,000 with um, over 1,400 backers, okay? So what that means, right, is that it has a Steam release coming out now. 
But really while we're, while we're covering this is there'll be a few days left in the campaign when this video goes live. So if you haven't supported it yet, make sure you go do that. Links will be in the description for that. But if they get to $145,000, okay, which they're going to need your help to do, then we're going to get a switch release of the game, folks. And that's what we really want. We think that would be a perfect way to experience the game. Okay. So make sure you back it. Yep. But a few other things, Brett. First of all, it's made by a very small team in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Brooklyn. The game didn't actually originally start out as a game. Um, you know, they storyboarded it, built prototypes. Um, and then they were like, basically found out, was like, hey, this would work great as a video game. So they quit their day jobs. They founded a company. Um, they practiced, you know, making games and publishing games and things like that. Um, and now are working on this, um, which they're ramping up to release. Okay. Um, so that's cool. I also think it's cool that for all the tiers, so if you pledge above $25, they're going to plant a tree um, for every backer that supports the project. So not only is that good for the environment, that also complements the, ga the game well that he's a woodworker and stuff like that. Um, and then they, they mentioned in it that they're still trying to figure out what partner is going to work best with them for that, um, but the, it's going to be a reputable organization. Um, they're also going to make purchases that um, kind of counteract the carbon output that they have um, or the footprint that they have when shipping this game, which I also think is pretty cool. So, yeah. So I just want to say that a lot of the rewards you get for backing are fantastic. Yeah, they, they are really um, good rewards. You're right. Yeah, if you back $80, you actually get the carving, the minifigure of the carving that the woodworker uh, makes in the game. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. Uh, but just looking at, I'm looking at the, the Kickstarter right now, mm -hmm. uh, looking at the storyboards is really interesting yeah. to get a look at what they were trying to do before it became a game. Mm -hmm. um, let me see if I can find it here. Hold on. Like that's how you know that this is going to be like a really cool experience. Here we go. That's how you know it's going to be a really cool experience because they have this like mapped out. They know what story they want to tell already. Mm -hmm. And now they're just basically putting it into a game engine and creating these interactive moments. Like you see, um, there's a moment here where on the smartphone, you have to like pull your finger down and it makes his axe go down to make the carving, mm -hmm. right? So it's going to be a really cool experience being able to play these interactive moments. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a point and click adventure yes. game, but made for touch screens, yeah. right? So yeah, check it out. Let's try to get this on Switch. Uh, this seems like a game that I don't really want to play on Steam because of the interactive part of it, right? Um, and I'm not really a big gamer on my phone either, so I'd really, really like to play this on my Switch. So guys, let's back it. Let's get this going. They're at 92,398 at the time of us recording. Okay. This game's coming out. It's just a matter of it getting on the Switch. Yeah. Fine. Check it out, folks. That's right. All right, Brett. That is the end of our show. That makes marks the end right. of Half to Cast episode number 33. Part two, because we had to record it Part twice. Two. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, everybody, very much for watching. Um, if you like the podcast, like the segments, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Um, drop it in the comments below. Let us know your thoughts. Share it with your friends. Sharing really helps us. Um, and if you turn on that notification bell, we are approaching 400 subscribers um and we'd like to get over that milestone and then go way beyond that obviously so every little bit helps you know liking subscribing and making sure that you share it with people if you like what you saw 
Exactly. And you know what? If you like what you saw, let us know. Drop a comment. Join the discussion. Uh, these are discussion videos mostly for the most mm -hmm. part, right? So join the discussion. Let us know what you think. Uh, we love when we get people in our comment section disagreeing with us because we can have a back and forth and, and talk it out. Uh, we love when people comment and they agree with us because it shows that, you know, we're on the right side of history with a lot of these things. So um, it also helps with the algorithm. If you comment on a video, see the, the algorithm sees that you're you're joining in the conversation, you're talking, and uh, it'll recommend our video to more people. So we're going to try to grow this community and we're going to try to, uh, you know, get as big as possible. So, yeah, make sure you comment. Um, well, that'll do it, everybody. Thank you, Brett, for joining me and discussing things as always. Thank you, HBot, for doing everything that you do. Uh, I know we appreciate you. And, um, yeah, thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys. Thank you for watching Hapticast. Please like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you do not miss an upload.